Hello and welcome back to Panam, a podcast about Paris, the people who've lived here, the events that have taken place and the traces they've left behind. Today is a bonus day, the 29th of February, and a bonus day deserves a bonus episode. After reading Dode's book, In the Land of Pain, as research for the last episode about syphilis, I kind of got interested in Dode himself because I hadn't really come across his work. Um, And I'm going to read you a little bit from the introduction by Julian Barnes. Alphonse Daudet, 1840 to 1897, is a substantially forgotten writer nowadays. I would concur. I've never heard about him. Novelist, playwright, journalist. He's viewed as a sunny humorist and clear stylist. He's offered to students of French as a nursery slope or climbing wall, practice on this. But in his day, he was not only highly successful and very rich, he also ate at the top literary table. Dickens called him my little brother in France. Henry James, who translated Daudet's novels, called him a great little novelist. Goncourt, mon petit Daudet, as you may deduce, he was short of stature. He was also kind, generous and sociable, a passionate observer and an unstoppable talker. These qualities transfer into his fiction. He was, in various descriptions, all of them from Henry James, the happiest novelist of his day, beyond comparison, the most charming storyteller of the day. So it's so sad that the reason I know him is because of his really quite moving book about his suffering and his pain and... Um, Julian Barnes observes as well in the beginning it is so difficult to talk about pain to explain pain to capture what pain feels like and I do think he does a great job of it anyway so with all of this in mind I thought why not let's discover one of his short stories because it is so fun to learn about French writers and read their stories so today I'm going to read you um one of his stories, one that captured me, is from a collection called Artists' Wives. And it starts off with a poet and a musician, and they're all sort of sitting around talking, and one of them is happily married. And I think the poet says, oh, you know, I need to get married. And then his friend tries to dissuade him by giving him all these examples of unhappy marriages. And they're either unhappy because maybe their husband cheats, or they were ill-suited, or, you know... They married when they were young and beautiful and in fact they had nothing in common. And so there's all these different art, uh, examples, but they're all artists, whether they're a sculptor or a painter or a musician. Um, and they are indeed quite humorous. And the one that I have chosen captured my attention because it is called um, Fragment of a Woman's Letter Found in the Rue Notre-Dame-du-Champ. So we're reading a scrap of a letter. So we don't have the beginning of the letter and it cuts off at the end and it is a from the point of view of the artist's wife. What it has cost me to marry an artist, oh my dear, if I had known, but young girls have singular ideas about so many things. Just imagine that at the exhibition, when I read in the catalogue the addresses of far away quiet streets at the further end of Paris, I pictured myself peaceable, stay-at-home lives, devoted to work and the family circle, and I said to myself, feeling beforehand a certainty that I should be dreadfully jealous, that is the sort of husband to suit me. He will always be with me. We shall spend our days together. 
he at his picture or sculpture, while I read or sew beside him in the concentrated light of the studio. Poor dear innocent! I had not the faintest idea that what a studio really was, nor of the singular creatures one meets there, never in gazing at those statues of bold, undressed goddesses, had the idea occurred to me that there were women daring enough to... and that even I myself... Otherwise, I can assure you, I should never have married a sculptor. No, indeed, no, most decidedly not. I must own, they were all against this marriage at home, notwithstanding my husband's fortune, his already famous name, and the fine house he was having built for us to. It was I alone who would have it so. He was so elegant, so charming, so eager... I thought, however, he meddled a little too much about my dress and the arrangement of my hair. Do your hair like this? And he would amuse himself by placing a flower in the midst of my curls with far greater skill than any of our milliners. So much experience in a man was alarming, wasn't it? I ought to have distrusted him. Well, you will see. Listen. We return from our honeymoon. While I was busy settling myself in my pretty and charmingly furnished rooms, that paradise you know so well, my husband, from the moment of his arrival, had set off to work and spent the days at his studio, which was away from the house. When he returned in the evening, he would talk to me with feverish eagerness of his next subject for exhibition. The subject was a Roman lady leaving the bath. He wanted the marble to reproduce that faint shiver of the skin at the contact of air, the moisture of the delicate textures clinging to the shoulders, and all sorts of other fine things which I no longer remember. Between you and me, when he speaks to me of his sculptures, I don't always understand him very well. However, I used to say confidently, it will be very pretty and already I saw myself treading the finely sanded walks, admiring my husband's work, a beautiful marble sculpture gleaming white against the green hangings, while behind me I heard whispers, the wife of the sculptor. At last, one day, curious to see how our Roman lady was getting on, the idea occurred to me to go and take him by surprise in his studio, which I had not yet visited. It was one of the first times I'd gone out alone, and I'd made myself very smart, I can tell you. When I arrived, I found the door of the little garden leading to the ground floor wide open. So I walked straight in, and conceived my indignation when I beheld my husband in a white smock, like a stonemason with ruffled hair, hands grimed with clay, and in front of him, upright on a platform, a woman, my dear, a great creature, almost undressed, and looking just as composed in this airy costume as though it were perfectly natural. Her wretched clothes, covered with mud, thick walking boots and a rounded hat trimmed with a feather out of curl, were thrown beside her on a chair. All this I saw in an instant, for you may imagine how I fled. Etienne would have spoken to me, detained me, but with a gesture of horror at the clay-covered hands I rushed off to Mamma, and reached her barely alive. You can imagine my appearance. Good heavens, child, what is the matter? I related to Mamma what I had seen, where this dreadful woman was, and in what costume. And I cried and cried. 
My mother, much moved, tried to console me, explained to me that it must have been a model. What? But it is abominable. No one ever told me about this before I was married. Hereupon Etienne arrived, greatly distressed, and tried in his turn to make me understand that a model is not a woman like other women, and that besides, sculptors cannot get on without them. But these reasons had no effect upon me, and I stoutly declared I would have nothing to do with a husband who spent his days tete-a-tete with young ladies in such a costume. Come, my dear Etienne, said poor Mamma, trying hard to arrange everything peaceably. Could you not, out of respect for your wife's feelings, replace this creature by a dummy, a lay figure? My husband bit his moustache furiously. Quite impossible, dear mother. Still, my dear, it seems to me a bright idea. Milliners have plasterboard heads on which they trim bonnets. Well, what can be done for a head? Could it not be done for... It seems this is not possible. At least, this is what Etienne tried to demonstrate at great length with all sorts of details and technical words. He looked very unhappy. I watched him out of the corner of my eye while I dried my tears, and I saw that my grief affected him deeply. At last, after an endless discussion, it was agreed that since the model was indispensable, I should be there whenever she came. There chanced to be, on one side of the studio, a very convenient little lumber room from which I could see without being seen. I ought to be ashamed, you will say, of being jealous of such a kind creature and of showing my jealousy, but, my pet, you must have gone through these emotions before you can offer an opinion about them. Next day, the model was to be there. I therefore summoned up my courage and installed myself in my hiding place with the express condition that at the least tap at the partition my husband should come to me at once. Scarcely had I shut myself in when the dreadful model I'd seen the other day arrived, dressed heaven knows how, and so wretched in appearance that I asked myself how could I have been jealous of a woman who could walk about without a scrap of white cuff at her wrists, and in an old shawl with green fringe. Well, my dear, when I saw this creature throw off the shawl and dress in the middle of the studio and begin to undress in the coolest and boldest manner, it had an effect upon me I cannot describe. I choked with rage. I thumped at the partition. Etienne came to me. I trembled. I was pale. He laughed at me, gently reassured me, and returned to his work. By this time, the woman was standing up, half-naked, her thick hair loosened and hanging down her back in glossy heaviness. It was no longer the poor wretch of a moment ago, but already almost a statue, notwithstanding her common and listless air. My heart died within me. However, I said nothing. All at once I heard my husband cry, The left leg! The left leg forward! And as the model did not understand him at once, he went to her and... I could contain myself no longer. I knocked. He did not hear me. I knocked again furiously. This time he ran to me, frowning a little at being disturbed in the heat of work. Come, Armand, do be reasonable. Bathed in tears, I leant my head upon his shoulder and sobbed out, I cannot bear it. I can't, indeed, I can't. At this, without answering me, he went sharply into the studio and made a sign to that horror of a woman. 
who dressed herself and departed. For several days, Etienne did not return to the studio. He remained at home with me, would not go out, refused even to see his friends. Otherwise he was quite kind and gentle, but he had such a melancholy air. Once I asked him timidly, "'You're not working any more?' which earned me this reply, "'One cannot work without a model.' I had not the courage to pursue the subject, for I felt how much I was to blame, and that he had a right to be vexed with me. Nevertheless, by dint of caresses and endearments, I cajoled him into returning to his studio and trying to finish the statue. How do they say it? Out of his head. From imagination. In short, by Mama's process. To me, this seemed quite feasible, but it gave the poor fellow endless trouble. Every evening he came in with irritated nerves and more and more discouraged, almost ill indeed. To cheer him up, I used to often go and see him. I always said, it's charming. But as a fact, the statue made no progress whatever. I don't even know what he worked at. When I arrived, I would always find him smoking on his divan or perhaps rolling up pellets of clay, which he angrily threw against the opposite wall. One afternoon, when I was gazing at the unfortunate Roman lady who, half-modelled, had been so long in stepping out of her bath, an idea occurred to me. The Roman lady was about the same figure as myself. Perhaps, at a pinch, I might... "'What do you mean by a well-turned leg?' I asked my husband suddenly. He explained it to me at great length, showing me all that was still lacking to his statue, and which he could by no means give it without a model. Poor fellow, he had such a heartbroken air as he said this. Do you know what I did? Well, I bravely picked up the drapery which was lying in a corner. I went into my hiding place, then very softly, without saying a word, while he was still looking at his statue, I placed myself on the platform in front of him in the costume and attitude which I'd seen that abominable model. Oh, my dear, what emotion I felt when he raised his eyes. I could have laughed and cried. I was blushing all over. And that tiresome muslin took so much arranging. Never mind. Etienne was so delighted that I was soon reassured. Indeed, to hear him, my dear, you might suppose... I hope you enjoyed that. I encourage you to discover more writings of Dode. And if you'd like to pay your respects, he is, of course, at Perlisher's Cemetery with all his friends. The cover art that I'll use for this episode is actually a painting by Renoir of Julie Dode, Alphonse's wife. And you can see that at the Musée d'Orsay. That's all for now. Take care. Bye bye.